This is Mission.org. I would say always be paranoid. I don't care how good the business is doing or how well you're doing individually. I think always having a healthy dose of paranoia has been something that's been successful for me as an individual. We're living in a world of ever-moving targets. The metrics of success are always shifting, as are the goalposts of success. Staying on top isn't easy to do, but today we have some interesting tips that might help keep you there. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron. Today we're joined with Tom O'Regan, the CEO of Madison Logic, a company that provides advanced account prioritization using proprietary data signals, multi-channel activation, comprehensive measurement, and integrations with major CRM solutions. Tom is here to talk about how his team finds unified metrics, why microdosing failure can be a good thing, and how staying paranoid helps him stay on top of his game. Enjoy the episode. Let's kick it off, Tom, with with the lightning round. And before I ask you these, I I have to mention our amazing sponsor, Salesforce. Uh, For those of you who don't know, if it's your first time, you know, tuning in, thank you so much. But this whole show is sponsored by Salesforce, uh, created by our team at Mission, but sponsored by Salesforce. And so when you think marketing and engagement, there's a ton of thought leadership at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. Shout out to Salesforce. We've got Tom O'Regan, CEO of Madison Logic. And first question, Tom, for you, this is a doozy, texting or talking? Texting. What's one thing that you really love and appreciate about yourself? I'm extremely direct and unfiltered. What's your favorite day of the week? I'd say Wednesday. Hmm, Why Wednesday? You know what? My favorite restaurant does a uh, meatball Wednesday up on the (laughs) free side, Elio's Spaghetti and Meatballs. And I get together with either clients, friends, and it's just a great, great day of the week. (laughs) Okay. I love it. What's your favorite city in the U.S. besides the one you live in? I think I might know the answer, but we'll see. Well, you do because you're in it. Austin, Texas. <laughs> Austin. I love it. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Easy. Every language in the world. Okay. What's your favorite holiday? Holiday Memorial Day. I love the summer. I spend the summer out in, in Montauk. Well, during the pandemic, able to work out there virtually, but it's a start of the summer and my favorite time of the year. Okay. Scale of one to 10, how good of a driver are you? Not golf driver, car driver. Well, golf driver, I hate taking carts on the golf course. I'm a walker, right? With a caddy or my own bag, but I'm, a, I'm definitely 10 plus. I'm an amazing driver, fast driver, but I love driving. Okay. All right. Please fill in the blank. Something wise my elders taught me was? To have really good matters. My mom would appreciate you saying that. So thanks, Tom. Shout out to mom, who, by the way, my mom literally as kids, she would read us the book of etiquette like nightly before bed. She'd like read the book of etiquette. And so by age like six, I was like, I knew how to eat with a spoon the right way and put the right fork on the right side and say, I mean, it was crazy. I didn't appreciate it till later in life, but that's a a really good one. Okay. What would you choose, invisibility or super strength? Super strength, definitely. 
Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? I don't know. Uh, I would say I'd say it's totally fine. Okay. Okay. It's approved. If you weren't CEO of Madison Logic, leading an amazing organization that's exploding in growth, what would you be doing? This is terrible, but I'm a reformed Wall Street guy. I started out on Wall Street after college, and I think I'd be a banker, investment banker. Okay. All right. What is your least favorite marketing buzzword? Without question, AI, artificial intelligence. I hate it. Comes up a lot. It comes up a lot. Used very liberally. Okay. What would you go back and whisper in your younger self's ear about being a leader? It said, it's a little bit of cliche, but the harder you work, the luckier you get. My kids look at me, dad, you're so lucky. And it's, you just got lucky, right? Mom works really hard. She went to law school, but you got lucky. And I'm like, you know what? You kids don't know what, what I went through, but I, I may seem lucky now, but a lot of hard work. I love that. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Let's dive into some of the things you talked about earlier, which I, I find actually are super interesting. And, and I want to get right into that stuff. You talked about revenue marketing and growth marketing and kind of maybe the state of those things. And then I also want to shift into, you know, the trends coming into the pandemic, like what trends were useful then for brands in terms of marketing in the world that you know, and then also trends kind of post-pandemic, what are, what's going to hold, what are some of the things that organizations are seeing in terms of meaningful results and what's going to shape the future? The trend going into the pandemic was all around marketing and sales aligning for growth. And I think the organizations that were already aligned and executing on growth initiatives, using marketing dollars to be able to sell to accounts or expand existing accounts that had a level of metrics and sophistication around digital marketing, those organizations grew faster during the pandemic. The organizations that said, oh boy, we don't have any face-to-face -face meetings. We can't go to events. We really have to organize around a set of accounts. How do we work together? What are the metrics out there? And if they did the testing, in that environment and did it during the pandemic, they didn't grow as fast. So both cohorts are executing more digital account-based growth marketing initiatives right now, but there was an easier cohort of companies that were doing it before the pandemic that could pour gasoline and amplify their returns. And it's great that both groups of organizations are more sophisticated. And I think there's a lot of trends that happened and a lot of initiatives that really saw meaningful growth that are going to hold post-pandemic. But I think that's, I think it's a level of sophistication, testing and understanding metrics of success prior to the pandemic yielded superior results during. When you see an organization, you're evaluating them, like what kind of alignment are you looking? Okay, well, these guys are poised for the solution that we bring or the next level of targeting. So organizations that I think are on the higher end of sophistication as it relates to B2B marketing and ABM will come to us and say, we're launching a new product in this region. We need to achieve a certain revenue target, maybe the growth marketer, 10% of the regional growth for this particular software product. We want to understand everything Madison Logic knows around these 500 accounts, right? And we want to know which organizations may be more likely to purchase which are exhibiting purchase intent signals. And what do you think the best way to engage them is? That's a sophisticated marketer. And they understand how much they're willing to pay for an opportunity based on the average order value and their sales cycle. So that's a sophisticated marketer. Another marketer that maybe isn't as ready to execute ABM and measure success would be asking us, who are the companies that you think 
we should be marketing said product to in this region to achieve this growth. That's really a much harder situation to solve for because then we've got to help them come up with the list. Then they've got to work with sales. So they're behind the curve. As you know, this this new kind of elusive B2B buyer is spending, you know, more time kind of going solo through this B2B buying process. It's usually more than one person there. And so it seems like it can be more complex because this B2B buyer is usually not just one person and there's some rules of engagement there. How do you market, you know, to these accounts? How are you growing the business? So we're pretty discerning around how we use our marketing dollars and as an account-based marketing platform, we're extremely targeted and laser-focused, and we've got two cohorts. So most of our business is retention and expansion. So Madison Logic's clients are the largest, fastest-growing enterprise software companies. They market and sell products in North America, Europe, and Asia-Pacific. So what we want to do is ensure that we're taking advantage of all of the different products that they're marketing in the, each division. So we focus on customer success getting testimonials and validation internally at those organizations, and they help us sell within those organizations. So we've got a cohort of organizations we want to expand, and then we've got net new organizations. Everything's set up in our CRM, and all the marketing dollars we're spending, we're tracking back to account and very specific metrics to be able to see where they are in the funnel. Can you touch on the metrics part? Like, What are some of the metrics you're looking at as an org? So we look at, for example, our top 25 accounts. Our top 25 accounts at Madison Logic make up a significant percentage of our revenue. And we look at how many different products they market to other businesses. We look at how many we start the year with, how many products in those organizations are being marketed with us. What is our goal in terms of new products being marketed? So we set very specific goals on an individual account level and with that cohort, and we create programs to be able to go after the personas within those organizations to achieve those goals. And we're extremely targeted and measurable and discerning around achieving those goals. Can you un- maybe pick up the hood a little bit and talk about the program you would put in place? And like, is it, what's the approach in terms of like engaging and then, you know, again, bringing them, these folks in to have the conversation of like, okay, we're ready. Well, there's an account-based approach. This is, that's a one-to-one one approach. So with our top 25 accounts, there's a bespoke tailored approach to each and every one of those accounts. You can tailor messaging, events, and engagement for individual accounts. And then there's the one-to-many, which is maybe focused on more you know, programmatic display to reach more of the decision makers, a little bit of demand generation, a little bit of LinkedIn. So there's a dual approach of one-to-one and one-to-many and using multiple channels to reach the elusive buyers, right? Because there are many decision makers. So we want to focus on not one individual channel. We want to focus on multiple channels. And what we do once we figure out the personas within these organizations, we figure out how we can engage them at the right frequency across these three channels I mentioned, account-based demand generation, account-based display advertising, and LinkedIn, and how we can use one set of metrics to say, how are we engaging with these buyers across these three? And how are they yielding opportunities? And once we see success, How do we optimize and repeat that? How much time and attention are you putting into the personalization aspect of of each of those groups? I mean, the one-to-one or the one-to-many, because it seems like personalization is everything. The response is better when we take the time to have the sniper approach that's more personalized. How are you kind of doing that at scale? After the 25 accounts, that next tier, it's not as personalized. 
but we personalize it as much as we can for those core accounts. So there's definitely a bespoke approach for the, for the top 25. After that, it's definitely a one-to-many. But once we look at all our accounts, we look at Salesforce and our CRM, and we look at probability to close. So we use Opportunity Stage as an opportunity to create multiple varied messaging for each of those opportunities. So we never want to be soliciting or sending the same marketing message to a prospect as we would an opportunity for, let's say, X number of millions of dollars that's already in Salesforce. So that's when we customize and tailor personalized marketing messages based on where they are in the funnel. And we could speed them through the funnel to shorten the sales cycle. I checked out your LinkedIn. You have a super interesting background coming from finance and then you had advisory positions and a bunch of interesting things that you've done. What was the experience and the perception where you were like, okay, I'm going to engage in this ABM world, this ABM SaaS world, and, and then a big way? Well, you know, I joined Madison Logic in October of 2014, and I've been here for seven years. The company had already been around for, you know, a decade. And Madison Logic in its infancy was a B2B organization, basically generating demand, not focused on accounts. But my background, as you saw, I'm a salesperson. So I worked at a company called Martini Media and thestreet.com, and I sold digital advertising. So what I did when I joined is I spent time with really sophisticated marketers. And I wanted to know what they were focusing on and what worked. And when I met with these enterprise marketers, they were telling me about this one-to-one tailored approach to ABM, and they weren't doing one-to-many. No one was doing one-to-many. And I came back after meeting with people in Asia, in Europe, and in the US, and these are very provocative, sophisticated marketers. And I said, I think we have something. We're going to change our approach. And we were very early around creating an account-based measurement platform that paired demand generation and account-based programmatic display to be able to generate brand and demand, influencing individuals at various stages of this funnel. So it was, it was very early on, but it was basically talking to customers. Wow. That's interesting. Was there a conversation or like a lightning kind of lightning bolt moment for you of like, we actually have something potentially far greater here? Was it an interaction? Well, I think they really gave it to me, you know, because we talked about what we had in terms of data, how we're able to generate demand across different personas and organizations. And their challenge was being able to scale, just like you said, Jeremy, how do we have this bespoke, customized, sniper-tailored approach to all of our businesses? And if we could do that, we would see this exponential growth and, and measurability and returns. So it was one particular meeting that basically posed a challenge to me. How could you help us if I gave you a list of accounts and how could we replicate the success that we do internally with the small group? And we came back and kind of used that as, wow, we could just build everything we're doing into an account-based solutions. What are some of the early challenges you face now? Seeing the opportunity, seeing that technology could support the solution? Overcoming all of the challenges for all the salespeople internally saying, no one's doing ABM. How do we educate our buyers? And we were a small business. We were only about 30 people at that time. So no marketing budget, not an experienced sales force. And changing market perception with no marketing budget, with a smaller sales team, you're lengthening the sales cycle and you're, you're selling in a new approach to companies that it doesn't resonate with. So honestly, 
a lot of spottiness in terms of revenue. And even if you did sell it through and you sold it through, no one had metrics of success to say, okay, this is successful. So you had an opportunity to sell in a new strategy that was unproven to many organizations, a sales team that was unsophisticated, no budget to be able to change perception. And organizations, even when they bought, didn't know what success was. So that was the first number of years. But once they figured it out, and they did the testing, and they inflicted some pain in terms of marketing dollars lost. We inflicted a lot of pain on our business. But over time, we grew as a business when the market said, wow, this is working. They did the testing and said, you know what? This makes sense. So only over the last four years have we seen an emerging maturity among sophisticated growth marketers that ABM is the way to the future. And ABM is a platform. It's a strategy that's just more effective, more measurable, more targeted, and more impactful in terms of ROI. But we encountered all the challenges you could um, think of in the early days. Do you have kind of a favorite failure? I'll tell you what, there were many individual, you know, smaller failures. But I think going all in on ABM and saying we're not going to do kind of general B2B, we failed before we were successful for two years. The company didn't grow. And a lot of people perceived that as a failure. And we switched out a lot of individuals, we remade the business. So it made us stronger in the end, but it was a learning point because I had conviction. I knew what the customers wanted. We weren't ready. They weren't necessarily ready, but we stuck to it. And as an organization that's been around for 17 years, we doubled the business over the last two years. So now we're growing predictably throughout the region and servicing our clients in a better way. But to get through that unscathed was a great lesson. So what would you say your relationship with failure is like now? I'm okay failing in small doses, right? I'm, I'm okay with people individually coming up with ideas and, and not having every idea work out. That's totally fine. In terms of large strategic failures, I don't want to have one of those. Those are less fun. But I think if I didn't have a number of failures in my career, I wouldn't have had the successes that came with it. So I'm not totally afraid of the, the microdose failures. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. What is the dance and relationship with predicting growth now as, as a leader in the organization? Growth pains are really easy to overcome given the failure I've had and we've had as a business early on where we weren't growing, right? Those are way more extreme challenges and problems. But the growth pains we have now are scaling, hiring more people, onboarding, training them, taking on new customers, those I cherish. I love those growth opportunities. And so long as we've got predictable growth and we've got almost 100% of our uh, revenue is reoccurring, right? So our business is a predictable machine and we've created a flywheel over the years, which gives me the comfort to be able to grow, invest, spend in marketing in different resources and product and technology to understand what our revenue is going to be, you know, not two months out, but the next six and 12 months. How do you kind of create the right culture as a leader and, and a marketing leader at that, not just a CEO, but being a marketing leader? What are some of the things you're instilling there in the, in the early days? You know, so we've got a, a culture of innovation, right? Given we kind of help shape this, you know, account-based theme, genre, go-to-market strategy. But the people that work here are self-disciplined. I've got a sales background. I love sales. I focus on revenue. So everything we do is measurable and accountable. 
And the metrics that we have as an organization and the scorecard is pretty expansive in terms of what success looks like. It's not just revenue growth, it's visibility, it's predictability, and it's having that opportunity to invest in the company and grow for the future. So it's a results-oriented culture where people are focused on specific objectives and key results. And I feel like everyone knows where they stand in terms of achieving those, and that provides a level of comfort. And going into the pandemic, as an organization that already had a very flexible work-from-home policy, our organization was set up from a technology standpoint and a trust standpoint where people could feel comfortable being home, contributing, and growing the business without interruption. And I think that's one of the things that led to the acceleration of our business going into COVID. People having that trust and understanding what the metrics of success for for themselves within their teams. What would you say is one skill, Tom, that you've cultivated in your career that continues to benefit you and those around you? I would say always be paranoid. I don't care how good the business is doing or how well you're doing individually. I think always having a healthy dose of paranoia has been something that's, that's been successful for me as an individual. I don't think it's right for everybody. And there's a lot of people around me that may say, wow, that's, that tells us a little something about you. But I've always had it. So even before the pandemic, if you're paranoid and you go into pandemic, you're totally comfortable because you've always got paranoia. You come out of it. So that's something that's helped me that drives me to this day. I love that. With all the noise around ABM, you know, there's a lot of folks that are in the game, in the space and playing at different levels and sharing a bunch of good stuff. What's your approach to that? Now it's get more talk and chatter around ABM now. And how are you kind of navigating that? This is why I like to stay paranoid because, you know, I've got a board member who says, Tom, here's this new ABM platform. Who's this company? And I look at him and say, I don't know. He said, how do you not know? I said, well, they weren't an ABM company yesterday. They were a B2B services company, but now they're ABM. So it's a very crowded space. There's no ABM platform. It doesn't exist, right? Account-based marketing is a go-to-market strategy for enterprises looking to sell and market to a group of accounts. And, you know, we happen to fulfill a need and solve for a challenge that is specific to a group of extremely large enterprise growth marketers. And it's around understanding how they're marketing is impacting individuals within a buying group at target accounts so that those organizations could be smarter about optimizing and achieving opportunities and closing deals. So we focus at Madison Logic on a sophisticated group, the largest of enterprises that have done all the trials and the testing and they've gone through and made a number of mistakes. And then they work with us when they're at a level of maturity where they can take advantage of our platform and our integrations and our data and analytics. So we have a segment of clients that are on the upper tier in terms of their maturity curve with ABM. And we do not focus on SMB or lower middle market. A lot of organizations do. So we, we focus on a, a different group of organizations. Where do you see this ABM world going in, in the future? Like five years from now, where do you see ABM? ABM is just better B2B marketing, right? So you know, ABM is probably going to lessen in terms of the, um, just the nomenclature um, and the acronym ABM. And specifically among software organizations, they're all going to be executing ABM strategies. But what I think we see over the next five years is a group of organizations and verticals 
within healthcare, financial services, industrial companies. So better marketing for B2B is ABM. And if ABM is successful at providing value and a return on investment superior to more traditional B2B, all the organizations and within different verticals are going to adopt this. Once they build up their marketing tech stack, they do some testing, they're using data, but it's a proven and sound strategy for organizations. And I think we're going to see it permeate across all the verticals. Let's take a quick kind of shift out of this and look at some of the current events that are happening in the marketing world. This is an article that says, with one sentence, Google CEO just shared the best plan yet for returning to the office. There's been a lot of news and articles about people returning to the office and Google's CEO said he's excited about the flexibility of work schedules in the future and was quoted saying, I think we can be more purposeful about the time they're in, making sure group meetings or collaboration, community building happens then. What are your initial thoughts on returning to kind of in-person work and, and what has your company been doing there? So our perspective is we are a virtual work from home organization. We had flexibility going into the pandemic. We have excelled and performed extremely well as an organization, professionally and financially. And we will not be going back to a traditional five-day week schedule. And I always tell people, you're not going to hear it in all hands. Like, hey, guess what? In three months, you're coming back because I like virtual work from home. I happen to work in the office a good amount of time, and that's fine. It's easy for me living in New York City and coming in. But for our global team, they prefer working from home. They're effective. They're performing. And I want them to enjoy working and doing what they're doing from wherever they want. What about the ELT, you know, specifically? And I've, I've seen some organizations that have this kind of hybrid environment, and yet the ELT is attempting to be together in a, maybe more, more frequently or if they weren't fully remote before. Is that something that you've kind of seen or experimented at all where like you get folks that are parts of the you know, leadership team that you want closer to you and actually in closer proximity to you? Well, you know, it's interesting. My executive team, they come into the office. So they, they know I'm in the office basically every day and they come in. So I've got my CFO, my, my CRO, my CTO. They come in and they meet with me and they know where I am. But other teams have just authentically put together Thursdays. Operations team, we're coming in Thursday, we're having lunch, we're doing training. So, But it's just happening organically. And I think over time, we're going to have more of these team-based meetings in the office and it's just going to spring up through our other regions and it's going to be something that the team wants, but not something that I impose. Do you think most places are going to keep this hybrid work environment? And do you think these sorts of options will help with the great resignation we've seen lately? I think most organizations are going to have a level of flexibility that differs from the five-day work week that we had prior to the pandemic. And I don't see many within the software industry going back to five days a week. I haven't heard of any. You think about these moments of, as a CEO, where you kind of have these like, yes, we did it right. Yeah. And we got a little bit lucky. Everyone on the exec team was kicking and screaming and saying, you know what? We don't believe in this work from home. <laughs> and there was some people, you know, our chief people officer that pushed for it and worked on the technology, the reporting, the structure, and thank goodness she did. So it wasn't something that, that we said, okay, we're going to do this and we all love it. We weren't sure how we were going to measure the effectiveness of our teams, but we got into place about a year before the pandemic. So 
thankfully we did. So a little bit of luck sometimes. Okay. Next article talks about Gen Z shuns display ads, but loves native advertising. A recent study showed that 52% of Gen Zers avoid ads more than any other generation, but they are more likely than their older peers to make purchases when content-led advertising interests them. What are your initial thoughts on this statistic? Well, I think there's banner blindness for even older people. I guess I'd be in the older camp. So, I mean, digital display ads, there's a high percentage of ineffective digital display ads. So I'm I'm not here to tout for um, how effective banners are. And I think the way we look at it and the way our customers look at it, they look at what the engagement is with the varied assets they have, whether it's video or native or standard display. And I think the major component is just being able to measure the impact and effectiveness of display ads and be able to use the the assets that drive the best engagement. Well, there are kind of some common pitfalls and things you can share with other executives that are, I know we're listening to this. I think executing on a account-based marketing strategy will be highly effective when sales and marketing organizations agree on a group of accounts they want to market and sell to. Sounds very simple, but as we know, sales and marketing alignment is something that changes within different organizations and different verticals. So aligning on that set of accounts and focusing on the growth metrics of success. So number one, have the alignment on the set of accounts. Number two, before spending marketing dollars on programs or campaigns, understanding what goals as an organization you're looking to achieve. Are they branding metrics? Are they engagement? Are you really looking to generate opportunities for that? And understand what the cost of acquisition is just to be able to judge said campaign and the relative performance against KPIs you already have. And then number three, a lot of organizations execute on account-based marketing programs and they don't have a nurture strategy set up to be able to re-engage with individuals and companies based upon the content that they're engaging with and just making sure the plumbing's set up in terms of marketing automation, connecting with CRM and being able to continuously communicate with those individuals you're bringing to your website, you're having download your assets, click on ads. You want to be able to create a dialogue and bring them back into whatever community you have to be able to remarket to them. In the late 90s, Steve Jobs was quoted saying, you know, start with the customer experience and work backward. Would you say that's still accurate today? You know, when innovating in ABM, when we started really early on, we wouldn't have been able to start that way because there really wasn't any customer experience, right? It was a strategy, but there was very little measurement. So early on, it's hard to ask the customer what they want when they don't even know what they want. They know what they're trying to solve for. So early on, very tough. But now with a mature group of clients that we have, we're continuously looking at how they're using the platform, getting feedback, doing polls, having solutions consultants work with them to figure out what else we could be doing to make their lives easier so they can measure and attribute marketing dollars to success. So I think it is really important to stay close to customers and see how they're using your solution or your platform and augment to be able to deliver better returns. Is there an area that some folks on the Madison Logic team are in terms of like R&D and like innovating and testing new, new things in terms of the strategy, the approach to ABM, how much of that's happening at Madison Logic? All the time. So our co-founder and COO spends so much of his time focused on our top clients and asking them how they're getting 
returns on the data, our account prioritization, how they're benefiting from different integrations. We've got an integration with LinkedIn. How are they benefiting from increased reach in uh, engaging with more individuals? So we're constantly evaluating and picking the brains of our smartest accounts and marketers to be able to continue to innovate. Companies are benefiting from this historic talent transition, right? Now they must retain it. How are you tackling this in 2022? So given my background is in sales, I always focus on metrics of success. So I'm in multiple recruiting meetings every single week. I've done this for years, right? It's just something that I focus on. So talent, we've got a talent pipeline. I treat it as a revenue number. So who's in our pipeline for sales? Who's in our pipeline for for data, analytics, and product? I get to see the LinkedIn profiles. I get to see who's approving our profiles, why people are rejecting us. So I'm not going to wait three and six months in this environment if people tell me we're not paying enough or we're not being flexible enough. I want to know firsthand from our recruiting team what we're doing to be able to access and draw new talent to Madison Logic. And it's a core competency for myself and our entire executive team every single week. I love that you continue to be in those, I mean, those recruiting meetings. And that's something you don't always see at the executive level, certainly at the CEO level. We get a war for talent right now. It's really tough. I mean, keeping people and being able to promote yourself, you know, other individuals, it's, it's tough right now. Tom, this has been great. Like, this is exactly what I thought you were going to drop the mic on ABM, which is really what I wanted. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.